Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, I am chatting with the president and CEO of 99designs, Patrick Llewellyn. Now, for some of you listening, 99designs might be a bit of a controversial guest, and we're going to unpack a little bit about what that's about. But today, especially, I want to learn about a special report that 99designs worked on that involved over 10,000 designers, 10,000 freelancers across 42 countries. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Patrick Llewellyn. Okay, kids, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. And, you know, as of the time of this recording, all the fires are still going on in Australia. And so, Patrick, our thoughts are with you as we do this interview. But, um, Patrick, welcome to Obsessed Show. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. And, yeah, thanks for the kind thoughts. Uh, We're definitely in need of it at the moment. Well, you know, it's tough to go from that that somber thought to to bringing up what you you and I talked a little bit on the top of the show yeah. before we started recording, which is you know to some designers, ninety nine designs is is where they go to get all their work. You know, it's it's their it's their source of all their freelance or maybe a big chunk of it or at least a great supplement. Um, and for others, they think, oh man, ninety nine designs is devaluing design or they're taking work from us. Um, so maybe instead of talking about your origin story as we would typically do on this show tell me a little bit about the origin story of 99 designs and how you guys saw market fit and kind of what your response to some of those common questions or thoughts might be yeah i think thanks for giving me the opportunity to start with that josh because uh you know i think it, it really helps create some context and so we we have to go. We have to jump in our wayback machine and go all the way back uh, a time, and it's about 2006. And uh, our, our our sister site, SitePoint. So 99designs was actually a spin out of another company called SitePoint.com, and SitePoint.com was, and, and you may be familiar with it, in the 2000s was a go-to resource for a lot of people were learning about web. 1.0 right so it's where you went to learn about design it's where you went to learn about web design html in fact it was a really vibrant community of designers and developers and and folks really interested in 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 this sort of emerging market of the internet it was a publisher of books and so it, on that site there was two active forums there was a developer forum and a designer forum and so on the designer forum the designers spent their time playing a game called Photoshop Tennis. And so you might be familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, it's I hadn't heard that in a long time. Yeah, exactly, right? So it's fictional briefs, designers submitting their ideas to the forum thread, commenting, using it as a way of learning and sharing inspiration um, and just getting real feedback. And so what happened in that forum is designers started to see this as a way of sourcing design from each other. And so really organically, you know, one website designer said, hey, we've done a lot. We do a lot of logos in here. I need a logo for a client. Um, I don't particularly like doing logos. Uh, Here's the brief. Submit your ideas to me. And if I pick one of you, I'll pay you. And so a designer to designer was really the first interactions that were occurring in that forum. So designers started 
using this as a way of augmenting their skills, sourcing the things that they weren't good at from other creators in the in this forum thread. Then the developers started, you know, there was a lot of cross-pollination between design and, and development. So developers would start to see this. They were looking for design partners for the projects that they were doing. And so it was this really organic activity happening in this forum thread that the founders of 99design saw and, and, and thought maybe there's an opportunity here, you know, because it was really quite um, building a whole lot of momentum. And so really the, the first incarnations were really simple MVP hacks around, well, what are the things that people need to do? Well, if they we're giving them access to work, they need a way to take payments, they need a place to collaborate, uh, they need a, a standardized copyright agreement. There was all of these sorts of things mm -hmm. of feedback they were getting from this community. And so that was developed. And so I suppose what I what I what's important and, and something that I think one we didn't no one actually sat and went, okay, this is what's product market fit here? It was actually, wow, look at this organic behavior that's going on. I wonder if there's a way that we can propel that forward and bring more and more value to this community. And so really it was championing the community that we had, um, giving them access to the work that they were organically um, sourcing and doing amongst themselves, and then empowering them to do that better, get access to more and more opportunities. And so 99 Designs was spun out in, in, in February of 2008. So we're coming up to our 12th birthday. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. And, you know, and, and over that time, we've seen our platform really evolve. So in the beginning, it was that you know, mechanic um, that has some controversy or, you know, with, you know, briefs and, and folks submitting creative ideas to, to figure out who they want to work with. You know, but it, the platform's really evolved. So today, you know, we've paid out over $290 million to our community all around the world. You know, in any given year, we're paying designers in 80 to 85 countries. Um, and so there's, you know, it truly is a, a global community, um, of folks who are, are pursuing their path. You know, we've, we've really evolved the platform. So now, you know, sort of nearly 50% of the work is done through, uh, one-to-one -one projects. So that's where we're taking all of that data that we've been able to collate over the 12 years and, and, and doing a really great job of helping people get matched. Um, to the right creative. We've also built these really rich portfolios for folks to be able to demonstrate their work um, and promote themselves. And then, you know, we, and I mentioned on this now, we started to evolve our platform. So we're giving other uh, partners access to the underlying technology that we've built to empower communities um, and give our, our designers and, 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 and new designers access to more and more opportunity. Maybe our listeners would be interested too to hear a little bit about the company itself in terms of kind of how you guys are staffed and distributed and, you know, how many offices, how many people, how many designers, developers uh, are part of the 99designs team. Yeah, cool. Yeah, great. Um, so we're distributed basically in three clusters, but we, we do have, um, you know, remote folks, uh, you, you know, in many parts of the world. Um, our, our primary offices are in Melbourne, so that's where we started, uh, and I'm based. Um, but I have spent I spent a lot of time in California, um, and and so we've got another office in Oakland, in, in California. Um, so both of those teams is about a distribu distribution of about 50-50 between those two. So 50 people in Melbourne, and maybe it's slightly more in Melbourne today, and, and slightly less in Oakland. But mm -hmm. those two offices are divided 
Melbourne is historically the technology hub. So this is where we started. This is where our first engineers were hired um, and, and first designers. And so this is where most predominant of the, the product development work is done. Um, and then we support that product development work with teams in Oakland, with you know marketing and operations and some product and some tech. Um, and then we also have a team in Berlin who are also supporting uh, our community from a, a, a marketing and engagement and, and a support aspect. So we're about 120 people around the world, um, plus then augmenting that with you know additional um, folks and resources uh, on, a, on a bit more of an ad hoc basis. Um, and the split, you know, our development team is around. 50 people, maybe a little bit more of those of, of that team. Then there's a, there's a bunch of folks in um, both designer support and and customer support. So sort of that general community engagement, and then and then you know the sort of classic finance management functions um, that go along with a, an organization of our size, um, and you know then you know marketers who are helping us bring new opportunity to our creative community so one of the questions that i have asked our our last few guests who just all happen to be in a, a ceo or equivalent role um ceo can mean lots of different things from a day-to-day perspective i'm kind of curious what your um you know we don't have to go way back on you but i'm kind of curious what your skill set or background is and kind of how you insert yourself into the company as ceo on a daily basis yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I've been CEO of 99designs now coming up for 10 years. So, uh, you know, I think an important thing, and I, I'm always clear to Clara, I, I wasn't one of the founders. I joined 99, we're about eight people, a uh, small team in Collingwood. And then my first role was to, to move to San Francisco and open our office there. Um, and then I, you know, became CEO and we sort of went down the, the classic valley, you know, race and venture from Excel partners and, 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 and went on to expand our business um, from there. Um, so on a daily basis, you know, a lot of my uh, uh, time is spent, you know, working with the teams to make sure that, you, you know, we're, we're all pulling in a, in a similar direction um, from a strategic planning point of view, um, you know, thinking about, you uh, where we're going as a business, how we're managing ourselves as a business, um, making sure that, you know, I, I, I certainly believe a lot in, in, in being a, a servant-orientated CEO. So a lot of my time is spent thinking about, you know, are we providing a great um, facility for um, the folks who work for me directly and then the folks who work for me indirectly, you know, work mm. in our community indirectly. So what are our values, how we're pursuing those um, and, you know, just managing the business on a day-to-day basis. The whole, you know, my background is 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 more traditional business and and corporate finance. So there is a lot of, you know, just day-to-day management, looking at you know key metrics, um, making sure that you know I chaperone the business in a responsible way. Because you know a lot of what we think about is the legacy of our business. We've been around for twelve years, so we're not, um, you know, and we and we want to be around for a lot, lot longer because, you know, ultimately the work that we do, we're really passionate about, you know, that I talked to you a little bit about, you know, one of our core values is, is certainly around people helping people create their own success. And mm-hmm. we're 
blessed to have this really vibrant community of creatives who we get to see connect with amazing customers all around the world and the relationships that they create, the beautiful design that they create, the, the business opportunity that they empower, the creative opportunity they empower, the authors who turn, you know, a manuscript into a beautifully shaped novel, um, you know, the businesses who get their brand identity and then go to take on the world, you, you know, the illustrations, there's just so many aspects of, of, of the daily creative that, it, that happens on 99designs you know, fuels the inspiration of the organization. But at its core, it's that for me, what motivates me is seeing people grow, seeing people um, pursue the opportunity they want. So from a, a staff perspective or from the community's perspective. Well, one of the things that I teased at the top of the show was this Design Without Borders report. Um, and before we jump into some of the, the main topics on that, kind of related to what you were just saying, um, we talked a little bit at the top of the show how uh, a service like 99designs allows designers to kind of be wherever they want. I mean, the internet today is kind of <laughs> step one for that, but talk a little bit about, about that side of the business for me. Uh, around the access or the report, which would you like to talk yeah, about? Yeah, the, the access, the, I guess the findings around uh, where designers choose to do work from today. Yeah, so with the report, I mean, what, we, what we've learnt and, and, and what we've been able to observe from our own data, and I suppose what, what's important is, so the survey is it was an open survey. So whilst um, there was, there's large com contribution um, of responses from folks from our community, we also got a lot of community responses from folks from all over the world. So we're really blessed that a whole lot of freelance designers gave their time um, to, to, to give us um, this amazing resource of information around, you know, freelance designers all around the world. So we've got, you know, over 10,000 responses from designers in 42 countries. Um, you know, our community, as I said to you before, any given year, there's about 80 to 85 countries that designers are active in um, that we're paying out to. So, you know, as we all know, design has no borders um, and, you know, creativity and, and talent can reside anywhere. And, and we're all about trying to empower people, be, people giving those folks access to the that they desire. So with the report, what we learned, which I think is really illuminating, and I think you and I started to talk about this, is the fact that 76% of the respondents um, indicated they live outside the tier one cities in their country. So basically, That's a big number. <laughs> right? And, and so tier one was cities, we, we defined as cities with over a million um, people. So we're talking about lots of, you know, smaller cities uh, in countries all around the world where creators are getting access to work. And I think as you think about it, it probably makes sense. But I think it for us, as we were talking about it traditionally, and in countries like Australia, the United States, you'd have to move to the major centers to get access to design work um, as a creative. And so historically, if you're creative in, in another part of the world, a lot of the time they weren't actually able to pursue that career. I mean, I mm -hmm. think if you think back to uh, prior to the, the, the easy access that online platforms are providing and the internet, these opportunities the internet's opening up, a lot of the time the folks that were serving you in a restaurant or uh, in, in some other services industry, in fact, had a creative brand. Now they're unable, now they're able to, uh, you know, use their um, creative superpowers to get access um, and, and to, to, to deploy them um, from wherever they are. And yeah. Even in the late nineties or early two thousands, when 
um, you know, I was kind of coming up in the industry, the, the regular recommendation was, well, if you want to go look and work in Chicago, um, even if you don't get a job there, just move there and go wait tables and work on your book. And then maybe eventually that's how you get a job in Chicago or in the same with New York or LA or whatever else. But that, but that's where you had to be was one of these major markets. And it's, it's interesting how the industry has kind of flipped that on its head that, you know, you can be in Sheboygan, Wisconsin or <laughs> wherever else that you choose to be, maybe somewhere warm and tropical with a beach and uh, view of mountains or something like that, but but that you can choose to to be in as remote of a place as you want and still have access to these kind of projects. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we are seeing is, you know, uh, there is this the the advent of the digital mo- the nomad, right? Like the fact that you know millennials are choosing freelancing more and more and more. So we're seeing this as a primary decider. You know, typically it was to your point, you'd move to a big city and then you'd take a job. Uh, you know predominantly with an agency. I think we've seen that change a little over time and people are going into industry more and more as design is being valued right across, um, you know, most workplaces. But, you know, traditionally it was that appeal, right? I'm going to leave school. I'm going to bus tables. I've got to somehow figure out a way of building my portfolio. Traditionally that was, you know, go do pro pro bono work, um, create it, and then hustle my way into my first gig in an agency. And so whilst we're still seeing a lot of our freelance designers with agency experience, increasingly they're leaving the agencies um, uh, to embark on a freelance career. And one of the reasons why they embark on that is because it gives them the ability to, to, to work abroad. You know, so 43% of freelancers have lived and worked abroad from this, out of the, of the 10,000 that we surveyed. And so I think that's pretty significant. And we're seeing that, you know, whilst, that trend is right across the ball. So it's not only the millennials who are moving from country to country and continuing to work. We see that, you know, from it, it's, it's They certainly are the predominant driver of that and increasingly. So it's, it's, you know, that work-life balance, um, that ability to go experience new things whilst continuing to support yourself is something that, you know, the, the internet has opened up and, and platforms like ours and, and many others um, are creating. So maybe to unpack some of the other findings from this report um, and to drill in a little bit more to that motivations for freelancing piece, is is that just the, the millennials, just the younger design professionals that we're seeing doing the freelance thing, or is this happening across age groups as well? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's absolutely happening across age groups. I think, you know, like in, in, in the U.S., we had the the highest proportion of folks over 50 um, as freelancers. So like, not that the highest proportion were freelancers, but we still had a good chunk. I think over 20% um, were uh, in that 50 plus bracket. Um, 30 plus percent uh, indicated that they had 20 years of experience, right? So freelancing is not just, not something just the millennials are doing. It's something that, you know, and as we've known, freelancing in, in the creative space has been, around for a long time um and it's one of those industries that has always had had quite a lot of freelance base to it um but increasingly we're seeing you know millennials take it up and see it as you know aspirational you know i think the fact is that only five percent of the freelancers surveyed said that they're, they're doing freelancing just because they can't find steady work they're actually choosing to do this because they want personal freedom. They want creative freedom. Um, or the, you know, they want the ability to, you know, work where they, 
they want. Um, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing that we alluded to a little bit was the the changing relationship with agencies. And I know kind of the conventional wisdom, at least in the States is, um, Hey, before you go start your own business, you probably don't even know what you don't know. So maybe go work for somebody for five years or 10 years or something and kind of get it figured out. And once you, once you hone your skills, then if that's something you think you have the appetite for, maybe go out on your own. Um, yeah. are you seeing that, that trend changing? Yeah, I think we are seeing that trend change. I think like now over 50% of designers under 30 are ditching you know, agency jobs just after two years. Um, and so, and, you know, over 40% of the freelancers who had agency experience, only 13% of them see themselves working full-time in an agency as part of their five-year plan. So I think increasingly, you know, folks are looking for alternatives. I think what was interesting is that still aspirationally, um, nearly 50% of the designers said that they at some point in the future see themselves setting up their own agency. But I think that's going to be a very different agency to the ones that we've historically thought about with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bricks and mortar offices, uh, bringing people together. I think what we are seeing is that these folks are already collaborating. And so 68% of, of the designers uh, said that they are forming remote teams and working with other freelancers um, and creating almost new agency types. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting, especially as I think about you know, all the stresses that come with being a firm owner and, you know, paying rent and utilities and where's the printer paper and all the supplies and never mind like human resources, employing humans and (laughs) having everyone there. Um, Exactly. I mean, I think what, I think what we're seeing is everyone wants the ability. I mean, so one of the, you know, so we go back to the motivations, the things that motivates folks to to freelance in the first place is personal flexibility or creative flexibility. And so with this ability to tap into uh, talent from wherever it resides, it means that you can get access to best talent, best fit. And so it means that creatives are able to do the work they want um, and, 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 and they find inspiring. Um, and as the, the, the agency quote unquote owner, you're able to get access to the talent that you think is going to be best fit for that client that you've procured. And so I think that's the really interesting thing. So ultimately it, it should result in better outcomes for end client because the, you know, motivated talents working on that project and for creatives, it means that they're able to have a little bit of personal freedom because we all know too, that in you know, that agency job, occasionally a great client would come through the door and everyone would be like, yeah, hey, you know, super excited. And everyone would mm-hmm. be just get, you know, the gig on that one. And then there'd be a bunch of other work that folks would be like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily want to be doing this on a day-to-day basis. And so, and we do see that even in, in, in the survey results. And, and certainly when we talk to our, our designers and, you know, there are folks who have day jobs doing very rudimentary design. And then, they come onto our platform uh, outside of those day jobs to be able to express their creative freedom. So they're, you know, utilizing, you know, we've got 90 plus categories of design work on 99 design. So you want to start experimenting with 3d design or, you know, perhaps you're an illustrator, you know, you, you're an illustrator at school, but then you found yourself working in web design. And so, you know, you're illustrating children's books at night or, uh, you know, doing uh, book covers for authors that you're passionate about. And so I think, you know, that's, you know, certainly part of the trend that we see. 
Well, this is maybe kind of obvious with a with a global platform like 99designs, but um, you know, one of the other findings of the report was along the lines of helping to diversify the types of work. So not even just, you know, I'm doing logo work and website, but maybe I'm not even just doing work with people out of town. I might be doing pe- work with people in different time zones. Um, yep. Can you talk a little bit about that finding as well? Yeah, sure. So, you know, 85% of the designers work with clients outside their own time zones. Um, so, you know, that tends to suggest we're either crossing state lines uh, or, you know, uh, time zones or, in fact, blurring the lines uh, completely and working with folks from wherever they reside anywhere in the world. Um, and so the power of that is it gives you access to the work when, when you want to do it. So that means that we see, um, I think, greater diversity on online platforms than we see in, in, in typical day-to-day work environments. Mm-hmm. So it means that, you know, working mums and dads are able to access work um, outside of, you know, caring hours. You know, we, we've seen, we, as we saw, um, a lot of our designers indicated, 30% of the designers indicated that were parents with dependents, you know, under 18%, uh, under 18, where they're the primary caregiver, but they're still able to access work. And so by being able to tap into customers from wherever they are, it might mean that it aligns that I can do some work from, you know, 8 to 10 when the kids are asleep or, you know, 6 to 10 a.m. or, you know, in the school day when they're off at school because I've got access to customers, you know, right across all around the world in different time zones that I can connect with and, and work with. Or I can perhaps be even a bit independent and, and, and work outside the time zone, the typical business hours. How does the platform work in terms of like social connections and, you know, can I meet other designers who are on the platform or, or reach out to other designers I might need help with on a particular project for like a skill set or a look that I don't have? Yeah, sure. So I think what we find is the designers connect um, via social. We have a very active forum on 99designs. They've got the ability to connect and like each other's work. Um, and so on the forum, we see designers spending time either engaging with each other, creating relationships with each other, meeting. Um, they, they get inspiration. Like we went to a meetup uh, uh, late last year. We, we've got an amazing community of Serbian designers and in, a, in, in particular, there's a town, uh, Novosad, um, which is a small university town with a predominant, uh, preeminent design school in Serbia. So it's interesting that we've got this amazing community there. And, and so they just... Uh, and we met, I met two couples who had, who met on 99 designs, um, <laughs> That's a cool case study. <laughs> yeah. and, and married, you know, and, and, and we've got children. So we actually got to, you know, meet these people that actually created 99 babies and, and, and that's happened. And we've seen folks meet from <laughs> countries in different countries, uh, and then move to, to be together. Um, and typically the first connection has come from being inspired by their work engaging on our forum um and 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 then you know the the ability to communicate online just opens up the world um and so people are getting a social connection um within these online platforms and then i think that the interesting thing that you and i started to talk a little bit about is i think this meaning that if you're working from the community in which you want to live it gives you the opportunity to form additional social connections um with the, the community at large so what we're saying here is it may be an off-label use, but uh, 99designs is now also a dating platform. 
Yeah, well, it, it, unofficially. <laughs> unofficially. that's right. Um, yeah, and it, it's it, it is super fun to hear those stories and to bring those stories to life. Um, you know, just to be able to see firsthand for me, it was uh, an amazing experience to spend time. You know, in person, online connection is one thing, but to be able to you know wrap your arms around folks um, who you've been able to bring together, uh, who have brought themselves together on your, on this platform that you've played a small part and contributing to was, it was extraordinary. And just to, you know, to say, to see the way that you're impacting their lives and the way that opportunity is, um, opening it up, you know, Nova Sad's a, a, t- a town of 200,000 people, 300,000 people. And, uh, you know, in Serbia and here, these designers are making vibrant livings, getting access to work from all over the world. Um, and, and super exciting for me to be able to, to witness that what are you guys seeing um or are there any trends in terms of um you know when we talk about higher education in the states there's a lot of conversation about that maybe changing or going away in the future or what does that even look like um are you guys seeing any changes in uh kind of the the formal education of folks that are on the platform yeah absolutely i mean so a lot of our community do look like the tra- traditional community at large, right? So a bunch have 40% have undergraduate degrees, 9% have postgrad, you know, 20% have technical certificates, but only 15% of those folks feel that this is actually crucial for their industry success. Mm-hmm. And, and 75% of them, uh, or 74% of them indicated that they are constantly driving themselves to learn um, new skills in, in less formal ways. So 74% of them said that they learn using YouTube, for example. Um, you know, 33% of them said that they, they do online courses. So, you know, I, I know a recent guest of yours runs an online photography school, right? Yeah. Like folks are taking, are taking um, advantage of uh, democratized access to education and, 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 and absorbing that. And, and, and then evolving. I mean, I think that's the design industry as a whole. There's, there's always new skills to learn. There's new design, there's new styles, there's new tools. You know, the fact that, you know, Wacom tablets are the most popular, cho- you know, design tool of choice. Mm. Um, you can sort of see that, you know, folks are, are out there learning and they're finding new ways to access that. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that 15% of them feel that the degree that they've got is crucial um, to their success suggests that we'll see more and more folks, you know, entering the, these fields with a self-directed mindset. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And um, for anyone who's interested, I'm really bad at remembering episode numbers. I think it was 128 was Aaron Nace from Flern. That's P H L E A R N. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about that uh, platform uh, that Patrick was referencing um, maybe as uh I guess any other thoughts on the on the report itself to kind of sum that up, and uh, and then maybe after that we'll we'll talk a few more questions about yourself. Sure, I mean I, I think um, we have covered a lot. I mean I think the the, the, the thing that we noticed around uh, whilst the community at large, one of the things that we notice and we've got access to, uh, and we you know, the, the designer community still represent, showed us that the sort of the, the male um, female split was still not as equal as we perhaps would have thought it would mm. be. You know, I 
think 68% um, uh, identified as male, um, 32% identified uh, as, as female. But what we did see is places like Australia and the United States, that, that number was much closer to 50-50. In fact, more women in the United States um, than, than men. And I think that's really amazing. Like that's really enlightening, right? The fact that online platforms are allowing more and more people to get access. And we sort of touched a little bit about this diversity, this diversity of location, but this this ability to be able to access that kind of work it means that we're giving people uh, opportunity that perhaps they thought was lost. You know, we've got lots of tr- examples of um, working moms who you know, took the traditional route, worked in agencies, then, you know, stepped out um, to uh, start a family and now are able to continue to pursue their career um, uh, and, and, and continue to get access and feel like they're contributing. You know, we've got this amazing um, uh, designer, uh, Laura, uh, out of Missouri, you know, so not exactly what we think of a designer hotspot necessarily. Um, but she's able, she's been able to, sustain a full-time career, support a family, raise seven children, um, homeschool those children and, and, and manages this, this really vibrant lifestyle also whilst, you know, feeling able to earn a good living and contributing to the family as a, as a freelance designer from Missouri. And so they're the sorts of opportunities that platforms like ours are, are opening up. And I think that's, great for the industry because it means that we're able to tap into the talent that we perhaps might have lost as they, you know, went, moved down this, you know, the child phase potentially of their career path. Um, and, and really just, you know, so it makes our industry richer because we're getting access to, you know, this amazing diverse talent, but it's also great for the folks who are, are able to continue to sort of balance, you know, bring balance to their life. I'm kind of curious, um, just a passing thought I had, you know, I'm thinking about what we call the Pareto principle or the 80, 20 rule. Um, I'm curious if you see distribution of projects or dollars that come through the platform, if there's like that 20% of your platform that are really doing the majority of the work or, or do you see the projects really evenly spread across users? You know, are there just a handful of these super users and then you know, lots of people who do one project here and there, or what is, what does that actually look like? Yeah. I I mean, there is a a really long tail. And so we see folks use it, the platform in in, in very different ways. Um, I think the, the, you know, if you think like in the last, so what we see as an example is in the last month, 20,000 or so of those worked on our platform. So it is quite a big community of people. Mm They, they, they have very different needs. And so you're right, like most marketplaces, you know, we do have a, a concentration of folks who are, are earning a lot, um, typically because that's their full-time, this is their full-time gig. You know, this is where the, the majority of their work comes from. But then we see a, a large proportion of folks who are also using it to augment their income or to just learn a new creative skill. And so they are a lot less um, um, active, you know, so they yeah, sort of come. That makes sense. But it kind of depends a little bit on what life brings me. Do I have the capacity to do additional work? Am I inspired to do additional work? Um, is there something that I'm saving to do? 
Um, and then there's just a bunch of folks who are like, Hey, this is how I sustain myself. And, and, and so they do, you know, they do earn uh, a lot on our platform. Um, as a, as a 12 year old platform, I'm sure you guys are feeling a, a level of maturity at this point. I'm curious if there's any big features or any new, um, kind of, uh, vision that you have happening, maybe from a product roadmap or a platform growth standpoint that's on the horizon? Yeah. So for us, you know, so the, the big shift for us is, you know, obviously we, you know, we started a, this, this embryonic uh, contest site and I talked about this evolution. Mm -hmm. We do a lot, a, a lot of work um, on a project basis. We're investing a lot and understanding how to, you know, improve the creative match. And then we've extended our platform. So we've been progressively, you know, taking what was historically a sort of a tech monolith, breaking that up into lots of little microservices. And so now as an organization, you know, it's lots of little APIs, you know, servicing each other. Mm -hmm. We're now, access, you know, providing access to those APIs to, to potential to, to partners. And so we sort of touched on this, but with Squarespace now, that's a great example of a partnership that we have that people can go and see. So now, you know, we're able, Squarespace is able to utilize our infrastructure um, to serve the circle community there. And so we're out talking to a bunch of other partners around utilizing our infrastructure. And I think what we're seeing is this really dynamic trend, particularly in what Squarespace is a design tool that we've historically, you'd think of as a do it yourself tool. But the reality of it is that they'd, they had a vibrant community of agencies and freelancers who were using the Squarespace platform as one of the tools that underpins their practice. And we're, you know, using that to, to build beautiful websites for, for their clients. And now Squarespace has been able to, you know, provide an adjunct resource to their users. So not only are they offer, you know, the best in breed, do it yourself, you know, website builder, but they're also able to provide you with, you know, a, a rich pool of creative professionals who can do it for you. And so um, I think for us, we're really excited about one, the empowerment of that community. So now Squarespace is being able to see firsthand the impact and, and the, the work opportunities that they're creating for their circle members. We're able to get access to this amazing um, community um, and, and we see this opportunity. We're just really at the beginning of this. And so we can bring, you know, we're excited. We're gonna be, we'll announce, we're bringing a, a bunch of other communities onto our platform. We're continuing to create opportunity for the folks who are already on our platform to give them access to learning new tools. But it's at an intersection of you know, technology platform and people's desire to get access to help when they need it. And for us to be, you know, really being able to serve folks at that point of inspiration, when do I need the help? Um, I've come to a roadblock or I've realized I really just don't have the time um, that I need to go and pursue this project. Okay, great. Now I can access a, you know, a, a curated high quality creative who can help take me on that journey and, and get me the result that I want. Well, Patrick, all of the designers and creatives we've had on the show um, have had to answer this question. So you can answer this question um, not just as CEO and president of 99designs, but really anything in life that kind of inspires an answer to this. But I'm curious what it is that you find you are most obsessed with right now. Uh, I'm most obsessed right now with... <laughs> creating opportunity for people, right? Like that's, 
that's the underlying driver that takes my life forward. Um, it is the thing that we think about every day at 99 Designs. How can we open up our platform to get access to, to more work? How can we help folks get access to the work that they want to do? So really that is at the core mm-hmm. of my obsession, right? Um, and it's, it's an underlying one, that, that core focus of, you know, really helping people thrive and, and create their own success. Um, so it's a, it's a bit mundane and perhaps a little corporate as CEO, but it's certainly the thing that <laughs> keeps me going, right? It's that, it is, that, that it's the magic that happens um, when people come together and help each other. Um, and, you know, we see that on a daily basis inside our organization. When teams are collaborating well, magic happens. We see it on our platform when the right creative is matched with the right customer. Um, beautiful things happen. And, and, and so that's the thing that drives me. Cool. Well, it's awesome to see, um, alignment that even when I give you an opportunity to not talk about (laughs) the company, that that's, that's what you come back to. So that's cool. Um, just a couple other quick questions before we let you go today. Um, I'm curious if you have either a favorite piece of advice that you've received, uh, sort of in coming up as CEO in the company, or maybe a favorite piece of advice to pass out to uh, your team members? Yeah, that's easy. Wow, that is a good question. Um, you know, I think for me, it, it certainly is. For me, it was always around the advice that I, I took on early was that, that advice around, and I think I've actually heard one of your other guests say it, but that uh, the notion around you know, we, we, we have two ears, one mouth. And, and mm. so I do spend a lot of my time trying to listen um, before I speak. Um, and I found throughout my career that that's been something that's put me in good stead. Um, the more time I take to hear from others, um, the better I am able to, um, you know, help them. Um, and so making sure that I get that balance right has been important to me. And it's certainly something that I try to remind folks of as well, that, you know, when you're thinking about getting out there, the more that you can do, open yourself up to that opportunity to, to truly listen, um, and absorb, I think the, the better off you are in everything you do. That's fantastic. Uh, again, guys, the report we were talking about before is called the design without borders report. Um, Patrick, can you let our uh, listeners know who might be interested in seeing the long-form copy of that or learning more details about that report where they can find that? Yep. You can just go to 99designs, um, designs without borders. Um, so 99designs.com, designs without borders, um, and and you'll find it. Um, and so you can download the report there. Um, obviously you can find us on 99designs.com, um, and you know, on the typical social channel channels. Well, Patrick, again, our thoughts will be with you in Australia, hoping to hear for, uh, some good news, especially for all of the cool wilderness and amazing wildlife in Australia. Um, and just hoping to hear some good news out there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I look, I think there we've, we've, we've had a, a period of respite. There has been some rain that has fallen, um, particularly in some, you know, fire ravaged areas, um, uh, and, and drought affected areas. So there's a, a sliver of hope there. Um, you know, th- it's going to be a, a massive 
rebuild project. Um, you know, we're, we're actually here at 99 Designs thinking about the ways in which we can contribute to helping local communities rebuild, how we can, you know, take this amazing pool of creatives that we have and, and sort of help give them access to opportunities to help as well. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's going to take time. I, you know, this is a disaster like we've never seen here in Australia. And, and so, you know, just the, the sheer scale of this is, you know, I think, you know, just to, for the North American listeners, I think it, you know, it's the, this, the current burnt out uh, land mass is bigger than West Virginia currently. Mm, so it, it is crazy. It's a, it's a crazy scale. Um, and so it's just going to be a long road. Um, but, you know, we, we have a history of this in Australia, you know, in, in 2009 and in, in our home state in Victoria, we had some devastating bushfires that, um, you know, destroyed a lot of areas was probably so far uh, was more impactful on, on human life. And, you know, it's amazing. One, one thing I will say is the Australian um, landscape is very resilient. It's, it's a tough country, as everyone knows. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that can bite you and attack, you know. And <laughs> it's, it's relatively harsh, but it's also, you know, resilient. So that does give me some hope. And you will see the Australian, you know, native bush um, rebuild, but it takes time. And, you know, I think that the devastating thing about these fires is that the, some of the wilderness, wilderness areas that have been impacted are some of the, the rarest uh, in our country. And so um, mm. we're not quite sure yet what impact that's really had on some of the endangered you know, species that we've had. But anyway, fingers crossed. Thanks for all the good thoughts. Um, there's, you know, if people feel like supporting and in different ways there's some amazing organizations from as simple as the you know, Australian Red Cross to you know fire authorities to uh, wilderness organizations that are all you know actively raising money um, and then taking those funds to contribute um, you know on the ground here um, and as we begin this you know the long road to recovery. Well, we'll definitely link to all of those things as well as the uh, report in the show notes. So in case listeners are looking for that, I know in, in times of need, it's tough sometimes to know like what's what's a legit um, nonprofit to give to you who's actually going to funnel the money through. And um, yeah. I think it's it's great to have those uh, those tips. So again, Patrick, thanks for being with us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Thank you. Okay, kids, that's show number 131 officially in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. And for those of you who are still listening, you are the obsessed of the obsessed. And if you'd like to support what's going on here at Obsessed Show, I would love it if you would check out patreon.com slash Josh Miles and see if you'd like to kick in a few bucks an episode. It would mean a ton to me. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can get all of today's show notes on our website, still at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. 
the Obsessed Show recorded its first 99 episodes at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Visit milesherndon.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.